Thank you for downloading this podcast from Grace Church Manchester. To listen to more or to get involved with church life, visit www.gracechurchmanchester.net. Now keep your Bibles open. We're going to be uh, spending some time in that chapter, or in fact really in three verses of it. I'm not going to promise to uh, preach on the whole section. There's too much there. We're just going to be speaking about three verses in particular. Let me start by telling you about a man who almost lost his faith. He was cold, dry, and cynical. He he nearly gave up the, the Christian faith. But he not only rediscovered Jesus, he was absolutely transformed. Here's a picture of him in later life. Jack Miller, he was born in the 1920s. He became a Christian. He was called to be a pastor and minister of a church. He even became a teacher of others. He was training young guys to be preachers, but he almost gave it up in his early 40s. I wonder if his story will resonate with anyone here today. Here's what he wrote. By April 1970, I had grown sick to death of the church, viewed as a religious cushion, and myself as the chief cushioner. I'd been a pastor for more than a decade and an instructor at this college for four years. I'd given it all my best shot, but as a change agent, I had bombed out. I was awash with cynicism about the prospects of the Christian church and went around with continual sorrow in my heart over the state of the churches around me. In a mood of dark despair, I resigned, both from the college faculty and from my position at the church, seeing no future for the Christian church and soured by my own failure as an instrument of change. I agreed with Pogo's comment. Here's Pogo, cartoon character. We have met the enemy and he is us. I was in depression for several weeks, but gradually, during those tearful days, I came to see God, Christian people, and myself in a new light. I asked myself, why are you weeping? Other questions followed. Do you see yourself primarily as a victim? Are you blaming others when the basic fault may be yours? Eventually it occurred to me, that my primary fa- the primary failure was mine. I sensed that I'd been crippled by my liking to be liked. As a result, I repented of my pride, timidity, and love of approval. Then the Miller family, who were now out of work, somebody kindly offered them a chance to stay in a flat in Barcelona, of all places. And so they traveled to this, this apartment and stayed for three and a half months looking out. And the flat had a, a, a back veranda that looked out over the Mediterranean Sea. So quite a good place for reflection and rest. And Jack Miller began an intensive study of the Bible, of promises of God. And he wrote this, I spent long hours tracing out the great themes of grace predicted in the prophets. Sometimes, like a man dying of thirst, I drank in the Gospel of John and the enormous promises presented in it. After studying these great promises, I would go out on the balcony where the sea stretched out before me. The ancients had called it the Great Sea. I understood why. 
because it extended in its blue-green vastness as far as the eye could see. But this was nothing compared with what I was reading in the Scriptures. These promises were world-embracing. Jesus Christ not only said, go with the gospel, but also, I will give you an immeasurable harvest. Often as I stood there looking at the sea, my faith was stirred by the promise that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord would cover the whole earth as the waters cover the sea. But while I was studying the Gospel of John, the passage we just read, my mind was impacted by the now character of the promises, like John 7, verse 37 to 39. Let's read it again. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. As I meditated on this teaching, Miller wrote, The present significance of this teaching and promise became clear. The rivers of living water were life-giving power provided from above to flow in and through the believer, power for holy living and daring witness. There is a strong now implication in Jesus' words. I then knew with a quiet, unshakable faith that these promises were mine as a servant of the king, mine to claim for life, and service in the church. There was power available to change me and turn me around. It would be claimed by any Christian right now in the present. Now, there are two aspects of that story that I've found absolutely gripping, and I've read it over and over again in recent years. Two things that struck me, struck me all the time. Firstly, Jack Miller was a, was a, a card-carrying, committed, evangelical Christian he believed all the right things. He knew his Bible. He could tick all the boxes. And he became cold and dry and cynical. But, secondly, he found a way to be renewed. To be renewed inside. And he was transformed. Because the rest of the story is this. The Millers came back from Barcelona. He took up his position again at the church. He saw more people come to faith in two years than in the previous 20. He then led a church planting movement that went not just through America, but into other parts of the world, Africa and Europe. And his books have inspired countless people. See how fruitful his life became. So what's the secret? What's the secret to a life that is not cold and dry and cynical, but warm? overflowing and satisfied. Don't you want to live like that? It's found here in John chapter 7. And I believe this is the single most important thing we could be thinking about together today because if you can get this and really get it deep down, it will change your world. These three verses can and did change the course of a whole life. And, and actually what Jesus does here is so important that he risks everything. Jesus risks everything to say it. So much the heart of what he's all about that he, he goes public in the most dramatic way. You remember, remember a couple of weeks ago we said that the occasion where this teaching happened was something called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Tents. In the Jewish uh, religion, there were three big festivals a year. 
Pentecost, Passover, and Tabernacles, or tents. And Tabernacles is a bit like the harvest time of year, the harvest festival. I don't know if you, you went to a school like mine. We used to bring a can of beans or some sort of pasta or something, and we'd all put it on a table at the front of the school for the harvest festival, and then it would all get donated to a hospice or something like that. Well, Feast of Tabernacles is a bit like harvest time, bringing in the harvest. And every man within, living within 20 miles of Jerusalem was commanded to go and celebrate tabernacles in Jerusalem so the city was crowded with people who were traveling in and they lived in these flimsy little booths or tents that they would make like a bivouac with a thin roof so that they could see the stars and always remember and be reminded of the days when the, the people had wandered in the wilderness and they didn't have a solid house but they had tents and could see the stars so there they all are so the city is crammed with thousands tens of thousands more people than normal and everybody's talking about Jesus you notice that when Prabhupada was reading it everybody's they're kind of whispering behind closed doors who do you think he is somebody said I think he's the great prophet someone else says you know he could be the messiah and then they go well hang on isn't he from Galilee I didn't think the messiah was going to come from there and they all know also that the authorities are, are not happy with Jesus in fact they're looking for a way to kill him so there's a lot of whispering behind closed doors and behind cloaks. And Jesus has gone there incognito. He's traveled not with the big uh, family group. He's gone on his own a few days later. And he's there and he starts teaching. But then on the last day of the feast, which was a seven or eight day long festival, on the last day there was a big ritual. And it involved taking some water and processing through to the temple and praying and sprinkling this water out and praying that God would send rain on a dry and parched land so they could have a harvest next year. And at that moment, the last day, the great day, when everybody's there, he stands up. And Jesus normally sits to teach. He stands. Everyone can see him. And, and he doesn't just sort of mention it. He, he actually cries out in a loud voice, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. He's shouting it out. In other words, everyone has got to hear this teaching. Everyone's got to hear it. What is it? Just two points. Firstly, anyone who is thirsty can come to Jesus and drink. And secondly, whoever believes in Jesus will find rivers of life flowing from them. Now, I'm a preacher's son. My dad has been a pastor for nearly 50 years. My dad always had these really long headings in his sermons. And I kind of personally vowed I would never do that. I always thought my headings will be really short and concise and all begin with the letter T or something. And, and, and I will never do what he, he used to do, which was to announce three headings and only do one of them because he ran out of time. But here I am today with these really not very memorable <laughs> lame headings. But here it is, the first one. Anyone who is thirsty can come to Jesus and drink. Now, I wonder if you have ever been really thirsty. Those Mancunians who've been born and bred in this city, you're used to plenty of water, aren't you? But the first Bible readers knew all about thirst. Most of the Bible's written in the Middle East, and most of the Middle East is desert, as far as I can tell. They knew about thirst. Travelers who, who go to the area that Jesus was working in are advised, if they're being active during the day, to drink one pint of water every hour so they can avoid dehydration. My own experience of Turkey is rather different from John and Beth's. I went there a couple of years before, got married with, a, with an old college friend, and we stayed in, a, I think it was a one or two star hotel, 
Uh, we got, got it very cheap, and we were out all day in the heat of the, the Turkish sun, not drinking water, surviving on coffee and a couple of beers. And after two days, I got a bug, and I was so dehydrated. This is my Turkish experience. I ended up in hospital on a drip to replace the body fluids. <laughs> so thirsty. I actually went home even paler than we went out there. Thirsty. Now, you can tell that Jesus here is talking about more than just uh, drinking water. It's the way he kind of speaks. We've seen it already in the Gospel of John. Remember, there was a time when he said, don't work for bread that spoils, but for bread that endures to eternal life. Well, he's obviously not just talking about bread. He's talking about sustenance, something that will provide you with life. So what does he mean here by thirst? If anyone's thirsty. Well, if you're thirsty, you are experiencing a lack. You are not satisfied you are suffering a pain of sorts. You have an intense dissatisfaction. Thirst on its own is not a substantial thing. It's a lack. It's a want. It is a crying out of its emptiness. So let me ask you here today, friends. Is anyone thirsty here today? Spiritually thirsty. Maybe you desire to know more of God, to really know him. He seems so distant. You're thirsty for that. Maybe you've got a desire to be free from your sins. Those wretched things that just cling to you and you can't shake them off. Do you have a guilty conscience and a sense that you need to be forgiven and cleansed? Do you long to be made pure? Do you have a yearning for inner peace? for the kind of rest that Jesus promises? Do you hunger for a more gracious, lovely and holy character in life? Are you thirsty? Now, is this connecting with you? Now, when you stop and you turn off the phone and you turn off the music and you're just silent and you're quiet and you're just yourself, what is going on inside in the deepest parts of your personality, in your heart, those deep wells? Are they dry? Because whatever's going on in those deep parts of your personality will explain the rest of your behavior. Because the depths of your heart, the deepest parts of your personality, drive the visions and values of the rest of your life. If you're dissatisfied, deep down, it will drive you like a wanderer in the desert, dying of thirst, being driven and distracted by mirages. Maybe you... uh, We're always made to feel inferior. You were always second best as a child. You never got higher than a B plus. You were never in the cool crowd. You were never the pretty one. You were always in the shade of an older sibling. You felt like you were just destined to fail. There are all sorts of conditions in our lives that can lead the heart to be deeply thirsty. Always yearning and craving for more. Are you thirsty? Because Jesus Christ here makes you an extraordinary offer. It's an invitation. He says, if anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. Very simple. If there's a thirsty person here today, come to Jesus Christ in faith and drink. He's saying that he has the resources to satisfy your soul. 
He's saying that he's got the resources to be like a fountain of life to you. He's offering you satisfaction in the deepest parts of your personality. Now, who gets the invitation? Who gets the special offer? Is it just a select group of customers, you know? No. Anyone, anyone who is thirsty can come to Jesus and drink. There's no limit. But you're saying, uh, you don't know me, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough, I'm so unworthy, I'm so guilty. You don't, you don't know what I've done in my life. And you know you're right, and I, I don't know and I don't need to. I know this, Jesus Christ said, anyone who is thirsty, come and drink. There's no limit, no matter how bad you've been. Some of you are thinking, well, I'm too old to change. I'm just stuck in my ways. Come and drink. Someone's thinking, well, I'm not ready. What are you waiting for? Are you thirsty? Come and drink. Well, I've lost the will to change. I just feel I'm destined to fail. He says, if you're thirsty, you can come to him and drink. I'm too busy to give it the time. What are you busy doing? You're drinking somewhere. You're trying to get your satisfaction from something, and it's failing you. So stop some of your activities. Come to Jesus Christ and drink. Oh, you think, well, I need to learn more. I, need to, I, I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't know enough about Jesus. You don't need to be an expert. He just says, if you're thirsty, come and drink. Come and drink. Hear the voice of Jesus as he stands and shouts out, anyone who is thirsty can come and drink. So take your thirsty heart to him right now and ask him to satisfy you right now. Don't wait on it anymore. Anyone who's thirsty can come to Jesus and drink. And my second and final point, whoever believes in Jesus will find rivers of life flowing from them. Rivers of life flowing from them. It's a promise. Here's what he says, verse 38. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. In the original language, it actually says will flow from their belly, which would be quite a funny image, wouldn't it? The deepest part of you, your belly, your guts. And this is a promise. This is interesting because it goes beyond just, just satisfaction for you so that you feel peace and fulfilled and happy. It's satisfaction that goes beyond just you and makes you feel good. And it, it now overflows you know, like a dry riverbed. Imagine a dry riverbed, and the land around it is all parched, but the rains come, and you see the river come down, and it starts as just a trickle, and then it builds into a stream until eventually there's a torrent going down the river and bursting out and flooding the banks, and then all around the sides of that river, as far as you can see, plants and greenery and, and life is springing up. That's what the image that Jesus is using here. He says, rivers of living water will flow from within them. In other words, you can be so renewed that the waters flow out of you. Jesus here is drawing on a rich theme from the Bible. It's a theme that's a bit like a thread of gold that runs through a beautiful tapestry. And you can just trace this theme. It goes all the way from the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And it ends up at the end of the Bible in Revelation 21 and 22. And it's the theme of waters of life. 
In the beginning, the loving creator makes a world of beauty and abundance. He plants a garden in Eden, and out of that garden flows a river that separates into four headwaters. They're going north, south, east, and west, and they water the whole earth. And it's an image that life is coming out to the world because the source of life, the living God, is there in the garden. And humankind can flourish because they are connected to that God, the source of life. But Adam sinned. Our first parents sinned. And in Adam's fall, we sinned all. He and all his descendants were ruined. We still bear the sort of vestiges of our original greatness. But we are like the ruins of a great palace. And we no longer live in the garden. We live in the world of thorns and thistles and sweat and toil and tears and thirst, the world of suffering, the world of strife. However, God promises that he will make it right. He will come and move in with humanity again. He will come and make his home with them. And his first big move in this regard is to move in with the Hebrew people, the Israelites. And first of all, he moves into a tent called the tabernacle out in the wilderness, and then into a temple. And these structures, this tabernacle tent and this, the temple, these structures are absolutely beautiful and they were full of garden imagery. Life was going to flow. But then this theme, this idea of life gets picked up much more uh, grandly by the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel has a vision. If you want to follow it, it's on page 881. And Ezekiel sees waters flowing out of the temple. Not because somebody's left a tap on or they've had a problem with the boiler but because life is flowing out. Here it is, Ezekiel 47. The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east, and the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits, and then he led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. At this point you're hoping you've got your swimming certificate. He measured off another thousand but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in. A river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from En Gedi to En Eglaim. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both sides of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food, and their leaves for healing." There's the image of the water of life coming out from the, God's presence and filling the world and bringing life wherever it goes. Now, Jesus Christ stands in front of a large crowd in the temple and says, shouts, if you come to me 
and drink. You will have rivers flowing out of your heart. See what he's saying? You'll be the new temple. Waters and life will come out of you so that wherever you go in, in your city and in your job and in your family and in your world and in your home, in your college course, wherever you go, rivers of life can flow out of you, bringing life to other people. Like the vision of the temple. Now this can only happen if God has now come to us and lived inside us and we are now the temple, can't it? And that's indeed what's happened through the work of Jesus Christ. How? Here it is again, John chapter 7. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not been glorified. Now Jesus was glorified when he was raised up on the cross, executed and killed, died a criminal's death. That was his glory, and later on he was to rise from the dead. And after that he sends his Holy Spirit into the world, so that everyone who believes in him can be changed and given a new heart. Through his work on the cross, he takes away the sins of the world. He takes away your sins and mine. He makes your heart clean and fit and new, like a renewed, rebuilt temple for the Spirit to flood and then overflow in the way that God longs to do. Billy Bray was a Cornish tin miner. He was a drunkard, an alcoholic, and a pretty vile character. He was a small guy, but he was very feisty. He had small man syndrome. And uh, he was, uh, the miners were incredible. They were, they were just machines. They would go down in a kind of um, rickety cage, like a lift, go down into the earth. It's the 19th century. And they'd be lowered down to where it was really hot. And sometimes they'd have to crawl for two hours just to get to the face. And then they would be kneeling, because the ceiling wasn't that high, and with a pick carving out of the wall. These guys were so built as we would say, they were ripped. They were hard men, doing eight, nine, ten-hour shifts down the mines six days a week, often being killed through ceiling collapsing or the the cage dropping unexpectedly. Now, Bray became a Christian believer, an amazing story of how he, he came to love and know Jesus. And he became known as the glory man because he was so full of life and exuberance and so joyful that God had saved him and God had loved him. And so he used to go down the mines, but he'd be singing hymns and talking about Jesus. And he so overflowed with Jesus that wherever he went, people trusted Jesus. And each day as he went down into the mines, very dangerous, he would pray with the miners as they went down, Lord, if any of us must be killed or die today, let it be me. Let not one of these men die, for they are not happy. And I am. And if I die today, I shall go to be in heaven. So there they are going down in the lift. He's praying this. And they're thinking it could drop at any moment. And it was rumored that at times when they got to the bottom, the other miners would be on their knees. Our Lord Jesus is a lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And we must come to him on his terms, though he graciously offers us and invites us to come to him, to speak to him. Are you satisfied? Have you drunk long and deep of that water so that out of your innermost being are flowing rivers 
is your life a blessing to the world around? Whether or not that has happened, speak to him about it now. Thank you for downloading this podcast from Grace Church Manchester. To listen to more or to get involved with church life, visit www.gracechurchmanchester.net.